flourishing families with Dr. Daughter Blatt, the switched-on kids chiropractor, and her passionate friends, sharing the secrets of inspiring wellness to help your families thrive. So we're so lucky to have the wonderful Sarah Nguyen with us today. Uh, Sarah is a prenatal yoga instructor and a doula. Welcome. Thank you for coming. Hi, daughter. Thanks for having me. So I think the, the question that's burning in everyone's head straight away is, what is a doula? Mm, well, good question. Um, we are a bit of, a bit of everything. Um, so different to midwives who provide medical care, we provide emotional, physical and informational support. Um, so typically, depending on what model of care you're in, having your baby, whether it's private, public, home or birth centre, um, say, for example, in a midwifery-led care program, you could privately hire a doula um, and we are working just for the mother. So not bound by hospital policies, procedures, but getting to know the mother on a really personal level so that um, during pregnancy she has someone to confide in, to um, bounce ideas, to help her make informed decisions. Um, and then during labour, we come fairly early on if mum wants um, and provide continuous support. So we stay with the mum um, and giving tools and and practical support to um, make for a better and more positive experience during labour. Just having someone who's familiar with birth um, and and also knows the woman at a, at a personal and deep level. Wow, that sounds like something I could have used a few years ago. Yeah, me too. I didn't have a doula at my birth. No. <laughs> so, so a doula is present, like you say, from like during the pregnancy and all the way through the birth. Mm. So you would potentially provide um, like some ideas of maybe how to change the position or so you're not necessarily touching the tummy, you're not touching the baby, you're not actually physically involved in the birth. It is more... Um, yeah, nothing like said, medical. So, yeah, we don't do any internal exams. We don't listen to the baby's heart um, beat. We don't take blood pressure, um, temperature, nothing like that. Um, we often are the only, as well as the partner, if there is one, we're often the only person present in early or established, early established labour. Yes. Um, because typically, you know, most people will delay going to hospital until they need. Um, and yeah, generally it helps to reduce um, interventions, so unnecessary medical interventions, because we know the way that the system is now. It is a little bit broken and we've sort of swung far the other way where um, birth has started to be seen as a very risky undertaking um, and and that means that there are sometimes unnecessary interventions, So, which can lead to more interventions. So if mum's trying to have um, a physiological birth, um, she'll most likely delay having her medical care there until such time as they're needed. Um, and we'll be there, as you said, to provide some ideas and suggestions around positioning. So that's positions that mum can take during labour um, to make it more comfortable for her, but also to optimise the process. 
So there is good evidence and research around um, having a doula reducing the length of labour and um, the, the most important thing is the way that mum sees her labour. So there's no, there's no good birth. Um, it really is all about, you know, whether the mum experiences it as a positive rite of passage, which I believe it is. Um, yeah, there's no formula for what, you know, we don't impose any of our ideas on what you should or shouldn't have. Um, it's all about supporting the mother and the partner if there is one to have the birth that they want. Yeah. So that might look like, you know, gas. It might look like epidural. It might look like um, having an OB present, you know, if that provides reassurance to mum. But it might also look like, you know, birthing at home and um, in a pool. So it, it can look like a range of different things. And the most important thing is to me is that, the mum feels really good about the choices that she's made for yeah. her and her baby. Yeah. Now, something that I often hear um, when my mum comes into the practice, they're, they're saying that, you know, everything was progressing and then suddenly something happened and her initial birth plan was, mm. um, you know, sort of abandoned and, and left behind. Where, 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 what, where do you fit into maybe providing... Advice, or are you are you in, involved in the decision making as as things may not progress as as expected? Yeah, I definitely don't make any decisions for the mum or dad. That that's all of theirs to make. Um, but we do do a lot of preparation. So ideally, um, I love when a mum will contact me around twenty weeks because that means that we've got um, months and months. You know. If pregnancy looks something like 37 to 42 weeks, we've got around 20 weeks under our belt um, to develop a relationship rapport but also to get really deep into um, all of the materials that are available, the resources. So I'm a bit of a sort of walking birth library. Oh, my um, <laughs> Yeah, and I mean I'm, I'm a total birth nerd, so I, I live and breathe it and then, you know, provide really – Personalized, rather than just pamphlets that the hospital will hand out um, that are quite generic. It'll be tailored, personalized birth education to the partner, the couple, sorry, um, so that when it comes time to birth, really they are the experts in the room. They're the experts of their body. They're the experts of their baby. Yeah. Um, and they're not leaning so much into, I mean, we need, we need medical advice as well, but everything should be just input. Um, so that mum can make the decision that feels best for her. So we use a, a tool or a model called um, an acronym BRAIN, um, and that's benefits, risks, alternatives, intuition, and nothing. Oh, like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't come up with it. It's been around for a long time and is taught in many um, birth courses. But I I guess I act as a, um, a reminder in the birth space of – the, the vision that they have for their birth. Um, and then if an intervention is being proposed, say, for example, breaking waters because labour has stalled, um, quite often only the benefits of an intervention will be shared. Um, so, and, and that's the reasons why you would do it. And that's important to know why you would do something. But it's equally important to know potentially what the flow-on um, consequences are of that. And also what comes with that intervention, you know. Um, 
So when you're consenting and making that decision, if you decide to consent, you know exactly what you're saying yes to. Um, And then, you know, I'll often have um, knowledge of alternatives that are also things that we could try perhaps before that intervention if mum's not sure about it. Um, But most uh, importantly, we rely on her intuition and keeping her in the driver's seat of her birth. So I don't, you mentioned birth plans. I don't do birth, I don't prepare birth plans with couples um, because, as you said, plans just sort of, things don't go to plan and we know that in birth. Um, There isn't an agenda and things can change very, very quickly. Um, And so what happens then is that the the plan gets thrown out the window but then, um, you know, it's like throwing the baby out with bathwater as well. It's like we need to, yeah, and, and we don't also want to be really flexible and go with the flow because that usually results in just um, doing exactly what you're being told um, and it might not necessarily be what feels right for you. So you become then, you kind of hand over your power to um, the hospital or the doctors mm. that are there. I don't mean to demonise doctors at all. They're very important. And I've seen medical help be life-saving in birth. Um, But what I'm really, I guess, a strong advocate for is avoiding unnecessary medical intervention. And we know that just when we look at, you know, the statistics of birth, our cesarean rate in some hospitals is up 50%, um, you know, and natural, you know, inductions are up to 50% as well, Um, you know. And so we need to just... We need to come back to um, a bit of, yeah, natural health, remembering that this is a natural function of the body um, and not something that always requires intervention, only sometimes. Mm. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, when um, when you're talking, uh, it's interesting, I, I have this picture in my head of, of an auntie, um, mm. you know, someone that is known and trusted that you love and that you have a really good deep connection with um, someone you trust um, and they're there for you and it's yeah. like there's just a hand that, that's the, the mental image of having you know, a hand on, on mum's shoulder yeah there is lots of physical touch and yeah. I get to know mum's love language so um, you know if that's acts of service then I'm running around getting her cold towels for her head and ice to crunch on and coconut water, Um, you know, but if her love language is physical touch then there'll be lots of like massage, counter pressure um, and and things that can support labour in that way. Um, Often it's words, my love language is words, so that, you know, I love that and just providing lots of praise, reassurance and affirmations um, because that's not always... I don't want to generalise, but maybe I'm thinking about my husband. <sighs> Often for male partners, that's not their strength. And but, um, sometimes in labour we just need to hear, in birth we need to hear that we are actually doing an amazing uh, job. Yeah, yeah. And um, we are, aren't we? Are we? Yeah. <laughs> and, that we're, and we're doing it, you know, like when we doubt ourselves that we're already doing it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there are different archetypes for doulas and luckily, especially in the Hunter, we have lots of amazing doulas up here. So... You know, if some women just feel like I need a sister or a best friend um, in the birth space with me, others might feel more like I need my mother or a grandmother kind of figure. Um, And particularly with COVID, a lot of family members aren't available or they're not seasoned in birth, so it might not feel suitable to have that 
family member there, but someone that can represent and hold that space. So just due to my age, I'm probably the sister, yeah. um, best friend type of doula, although I'm getting older and older and the women I support are getting younger and younger. So now that my first is 10 years old, I'm probably, I'll be transitioning into that maternal role eventually. <laughs> You'll grow into it gracefully. Right? Yeah. So yeah, all different yeah. types of support, but um, sorry, just earlier I realized I didn't finish that train of thought around, so I don't do birth planning, but we do birth mapping. Right. Which is something that Catherine Bell designed, um, incredible, incredible birth educator, and it provides pathways to birth. So, you know, if you don't go into spontaneous labour and you consent to an induction, that's a different pathway to, um, you know, early labour starting at home in, in the wee hours and, and staying at home as long as possible. And that's different, again, to, say, a planned caesarean or an emergency caesarean. But in a birth map, um, all of these pathways are outlined. And so at no point does that map become redundant. It really is like the Gregory's, you know, back in the days of Gregory's where you keep it in the glove box and if you get lost, I mean, hopefully you don't get lost Mm. and you know where you're going, but if you do, it's there. Um, And then I'm kind of Siri in the background, the voiceover, if you want that guidance yeah. oh, that's that's a great analogy i like that <laughs> yeah. so mum's in the driver's seat the whole time yeah and we all know what the map says great yeah so what what provided the inspiration for you to you know to take on this job and journey mm. well i started by teaching prenatal yoga um i that was a really transformative um what would you call it in my pregnancies Um, and so I wanted to teach and share that Um, and then what I noticed was happening is that these women would come to the prenatal yoga classes um, and they'd have all these beautiful ideas and visions and hope for their dreams um, for their birth and then not always but but far too often um you know, I'd see them come back to mums and bubs postnatal classes around, you know, six weeks after the birth. And I was just really devastated, I guess, by the, the lack of support, the lack of information. Um, women often reporting that they felt, you know, that they, they just like lost their power and, you know, this happened and that happened. And then they were sort of told to just accept and embrace that because at least they had a healthy baby. Yeah, yeah, they're all the time, don't you? It's the worst thing we can say because it really disregards the experience. Um, And, yes, that's a baseline expectation um, that we don't take for granted, but it can be so much more. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I was was just observing a lot of trauma and um, heartache, which was affecting their postpartum. So... You know, one in three women will report um, their birth as being traumatic. Yes. And one in ten will develop PTSD, which is yeah. horrific. Yes. Um, you know, I've got a dear friend who had postnatal psychosis and, I mean, these things that that really shouldn't, that they don't really exist in Eastern culture. So it is a problem of the West. Really? Yeah. That's an interesting, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't have all the figures on it, but... I lived in 
Vietnam for six months in the Hill Tribe area. When I was 18, I was doing volunteer work up there. And, I mean, look, obviously the um, infant and maternal mortality rates aren't what we have here. Um, However, you know, there just also wasn't – there's no such thing as postnatal depression or anxiety Mm -hmm. or – because you have community and you have village and, I mean, they're all essentially having home births in village huts and only going to hospital if something is wrong. Um, so that was my first exposure or introduction to birth. Um, and, I mean, these are 14- and 15-year-old girls yes. giving birth, which is a whole, you know, obviously a whole other topic. But... Um, it did it, it did reveal to me that like we are capable of so much more. Like why why in Western society are we doubting this? These mm. girls never mm. doubted themselves. Um, and it was just done and, and same with breastfeeding, you know? And babies are always carried on the mother or on someone always yeah. on the yeah. front or the back. So there's that attachment and bonding which flows from birth, um, having all those nice hormones to support that. And, yeah, there was no, like, low milk supply or none of it. And so I was so so surprised and confused when I kind of got to sort of a childbearing age and was ready to have my own family that there were all these things that could go wrong. Um, And I just thought, gosh, if they can do it here, like we're, we're missing something. And have you thought of whether it is because of our uh, lifestyle of maybe waiting till we're a bit older or having um, uh, we, we have such set ideas of what is right? Uh, we, we have you know we put some um, expectations, yeah, some pretty serious and high expectations on how things are done. And um, is, is have you thought of that? I mean, I'm sure oh. there is not an answer. It's probably a combination of lots and lots of things. But I know, yeah. I mean, so fascinating. I've I've not done any travel in um, Europe or anywhere in the developed world, but I have spent a lot of time um, in and around Southeast Asia. And yeah, I think about it all the time. I think it's multifaceted for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say, sure, you know, age and things like that are a factor, but. Um, I believe that, like, the village has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, they're, like, women are just supported by women. Um, even after they have their baby, you know, the first 40 days they spend at home being cared for, don't even get out of bed. All they're expected to do is be skin to skin um, with their baby and, breastfeed and, and be fed and yeah. looked after yeah. uh, so we don't we we do we are missing a lot of these like rituals and like post-birth rituals and cultural practices which come from that sort of ayurvedic model um and i think that has a lot to do with it i know i was gosh I went to like my son's swimming lesson like three days after my daughter was born like yeah. i just thought that was normal you know you just like get on with things and keep moving because otherwise you know if you stay home people will think you're not coping yeah, yeah. Um, it's a huge expectation so do, do you feel that that is that knowledge of having 
and we've spent um, six months in a, a mm. culture that works things very differently. Has, has that had an impact on the way you uh, perform your yoga and your and your jewel and the way you interact with mums, the advice you give? Yeah, I, I, what I try to bring is like this, what I see as ancient wisdom to modern birth practices. So I think we're very lucky to have like the facilities and support that we do have here. Um, but there is so much that can be gleaned from from past times and, you know, what was happening in the village before all of the interventions, you know, before inductions became normal yeah. um, and before, you know, epidurals became the norm as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah just the over-medicalisation of birth really has led to a kind of a, a breakdown of, oh, that's okay, women... Um, almost like forgetting, I guess, that this is our, you know, our birthright and this is, I mean, it's it's not that different to all of the other bodily functions that we perform and that we don't yeah. doubt within ourselves. Like we are the only mammals that doubt our ability to give yeah. birth. Yeah. You know, if you ever watched a, you know, been on a farm or watched a dog or a cat or anything give birth, like there is no fear, you know. It's a very positive. It has to be positive, otherwise that animal will anticipate it as being dangerous. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The body does support us in having a really um, positive process. I mean, that's the whole birth height that you hear of, you know, oxytocin, and um, and we just need to basically get out of our own way. <laughs> get out of the head and into the body. Yeah. yeah. And, and, yeah, just just to stop doubting and believe. And so I think what living over there and travelling after that that volunteer stint ended did for me was um, it just exposed me because we're not here, you know, in, in Western culture, we, we do shield ourselves from death and birth. Mm. Like these two major, mm. major, major parts of life are just behind closed doors. Yeah. So often the first birth um, that you witness, observe or support is your own. Yes. And, of course, that's scary. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also because everyone always loves to share their horror story. Yeah. It's just, just be legal. Just only share nice yeah. things. Yeah. Well, I always say we have, you know, we have a negativity bias. So okay. you have to remember that those stories are spread because, you know, evolutionarily it was adaptive to keep repeating negative stories and yeah. it doesn't serve us to to, to share positive stories no. um, because we just need to know where the risks are. So, yeah, yeah I mean, you have to hear, what, ten positive stories to outweigh one. Yeah. And there are so many great positive stories. But we also have a bit of a shaming culture where we, you know, don't, want to make people feel bad no. so if you've had a really positive birth often women will kind of hide yes. just downplay that a little bit mm. um but yeah for sure women experience orgasmic birth and ecstatic birth and it's i mean that's why we keep going back for more right <laughs> no it's because we have beautiful children <laughs> <gasps> yeah well i mean i'm the crazy one who you know didn't want any more children but um volunteered to or have offered to be a surrogate for friends because I you know I just think the whole process of pregnancy um and birth is just something to just marvel in that's 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 a really interesting uh, take on that 
So I, I, I'm really curious about how 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 could you? No, I, I don't want to say it that way. That was the wrong word. I think I would find it really difficult carrying a baby that close to my heart for so long. Mm-hmm. And then even though you know it is for people you love, which is allowed in Australia, I understand. Yeah. Um, how, how you know that that whole process of letting go? What what, what were your yeah. thoughts about that? Letting go. Well, so yeah, as you said, altruistic surrogacy is legal in Australia, which means that the surrogate can't receive any money. Um, so typically, that arrangement happens between friends and family and close contacts. Um, the the two men um, that I was planning to carry for um we met through the australian surrogacy community so that's the that's the facebook group where people can connect um yeah i mean i didn't get to experience a full pregnancy and gestation so i can't i guess comment personally on what that would have been to to birth and hand um over the baby but Going into it, you know, we did a lot of counselling and um, ethics and there's lots of legal uh, hurdles to jump over and through and it was many, many years um, in the making. And my, I guess the reason I felt drawn to it is that, you know, um, for people that can't have a baby on their own, two men being one example of that, um, I and I have this, you know, ability to to give to be that sort of like vessel for life and to give that opportunity of parenting to someone else. It mm-hmm. just felt within my capabilities, but yeah, I, I, it's boundaries, isn't it? And it's um, I, I never saw it as that I was going to hand like give up a baby or. Um, hand over I always imagined it being more like I'm giving them their baby back yes so essentially I was just you know looking after and growing yes. the baby for um that time the 40 weeks or yes you know, but it's all through IVF and unfortunately you know we, we did get pregnant which was amazing but um had a miscarriage at around 10 weeks so it was very different experience being pregnant through IVF and um, and being a surrogate in lockdown and yes. yeah, so yeah, it's unfortunately um, not going to proceed. But it was a really, really special experience to be a part of, and um, yeah, I hope that they can be parents. Yeah. It sounds wonderful. It's, it, I mean, it sounds just so amazing and fantastic to hear that someone. Could give that gift to to other people. Um, um, yeah. There are a few of us. It's not as yeah. rare as. No, know, I'm sure it isn't. I'm, I'm just yeah. too selfish. It's just like, no, oh, I would want the selfish. baby, but I would want the baby because I was only allowed to have two, and I wanted at least four. Oh. So maybe that's why it still sits somewhere in my Definitely. being. It's like, oh, I feel like I have to hold on to them. Definitely, I think yeah, you need to have finished your family for yeah. sure. I. I don't want any more children to raise. I think that's the hard part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the sleep deprivation. Um, but I just, yeah, I do love being a part of, yeah, yeah. the growth. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Hopefully I'm still, you know, 
process of letting go of that idea as well and accepting that COVID, you know, really got in the way. So, yes. yeah, I'm not sure if I'm ready to close the book entirely, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So as we finish up, Sarah, um, can you maybe just tell our listeners where they can find you if they should be interested in your doula or your... We didn't talk so much about your yoga, but you know, where, how can they how can they find you? Yeah, so the prenatal yoga classes I'm running out of um, here, <laughs> the family chiropractor in Charlestown um, on the beautiful back veranda, which has been. It just looks so good every time I see you out there. I'm thinking, how come I'm not pregnant? <laughs> oh, I know you can come and nurture those soul children that never made it into your arms. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I love it out there. I'm not sure what we'll do in winter, but you know, we'll just see. Um, and. Yeah, for doula support, I mean, you can find my website is yogimama.com.au. Um, Facebook is Sarah Yogi Mama, all one word, and Instagram is Sarah dot Yogi Mama. Okay. Um, yeah, so follow along there. I'm always posting like birth education and bits and pieces, and yeah, you don't have to be a yogi. Um, you know, just if you want to experience some of the benefits of practicing prenatal um, yoga and then I always weave in uh, birth education and just bits and pieces. And the feedback is fantastic. You know, oh, the the mums that, that I see, they, they love it. It's such a lovely community. I mean, they, they get out there. They're there before me having a little yarn on the back veranda. Yeah. So... Um, I think that's a big part of it, particularly post-COVID, with just craving that connection and community. And and I think it's really important to make those connections um, before you have the baby because, I mean, mother's groups don't start. My baby was 10 weeks old and by then I was so tired I couldn't remember my name. (laughs) And I didn't feel like I was capable of making friendship, like having friendships. Thankfully, I did eventually. But if you can, yeah, build your village and your even your holistic care community all before, so you, you know you know who your chiro is, you know who your acupuncturist is, you know you know not to say you have to use it all, but you know you've got your prenatal massage, your yoga. Then it's so much easier when you have Bob, um, and these people are there to support you, and you you know you're an existing uh, client. So yeah, I'm a big believer in building village and community. Thanks so much for your time today. That was fantastic. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Dawn Carl. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Family Chiropractic or the host. Brought to you by Family Chiropractic Centre, Charlestown. Serving the families in Newcastle, Lake Macquarie and Charlestown.